The story is told of two Australian sailors who had just come off a ship and they made their way to a pub in London. And there they'd been drinking heavily. And uh, when they came out of the pub, they were shocked to see that a dense fog had come down. A real pea super, a kind of which we don't often see so much these days, but years ago they were very much pea super fogs and very dense. And that's how it was for these two sailors who were somewhat the worse for drink. They were staggering around on their feet and suddenly by the door they saw another man coming in and they didn't know that in fact this man was a highly decorated English officer. And uh, as he came close, one of the Australians called out to him and said, uh, hey, can you tell us where we are? And the officer was a bit offended by this disrespect, because after all, he was a highly decorated English officer and he had lots of medals. And so he said to these two Australian drunken sailors, do you men know who I am? At that point, one of the sailors said to the other, we're really in a mess now. We don't know where we are, and he doesn't know who he is. (laughs) And you know, that could be a description of our world in these first years of the 21st century. There's a sense of bewilderment about what is happening in the world, technologically, environmentally, morally, spiritually. And there is a feeling that we don't know who we are or where we are. A woman was heard to say this, I adore my children, but lately I've caught myself almost wishing I had never brought them into the world. And a man said this, I am discouraged. All the ideals and values for which I have worked during recent years appear to be losing out. When do you think those two statements were made? Well, they were made on July the 7th, but the year was 1941. Those statements uh, are included in the sermon preached by the author of that hymn, God of Grace and God of Glory, a man by the name of Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick. He was pastor of the Riverside Church on Manhattan in New York during the war years. And at the end of that sermon, he says this, a prevalent mood like a fog settles down around us. And he says, in the middle of the Second World War, this is a ghastly time to be alive. That is true. Then he went on to say, it's not the whole truth. This is also a great time to be alive, for wisdom and courage to face and create momentous change, for realistic appraisal of our false reliances, and for profound convictions that God and people and the kingdom of righteousness on earth. And as I read those words, some while ago now, I thought to myself, yes, they could be said again today, because people today often say, this is a ghastly time to be alive. And the two statements I've just shared with you, one from the woman and one from the man, could easily have been said on the July the 7th 
that we all recently remember about the bombs in London. But they were said in 1941. We're living in a time still of momentous change. And it seems to me in one sense that that's the nature of the world in which we live. There's almost a sense in which this is really the real world. And how many times do we hear people say, whether it was 60 years ago or more, in the early part of the 20th century, or whether it's in the first few years of the 21st century, how many times do we hear people saying, if there is a God, if there is a God, why does he allow such evil in the world? Why doesn't he do something about the injustices? Why doesn't he do something about the cruelty and the violence and the conflict? Why doesn't he change things? Well, of course, I'm not able to give you a definitive answer to that question. But I can offer you this morning what I believe is a very profound insight to answering that question. And we find that in the parable the illustration that Jesus gave in the Bible reading we had a few moments ago, Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. The wheat, as Jesus says, represents the kingdom of God. The field is the world. Uh, Jesus says that he is the farmer. The wheat represents the people of the kingdom. In uh, reading from the uh, New Living Translation, verse 37, All right, Jesus says to the disciples, I, the Son of Man, am the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. The good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels." The wheat represents the kingdom of God. The weeds represent a counterfeit kingdom. The wheat and the weeds grow alongside each other. In fact, they are intertwined with each other. And the weed that Jesus mentioned in this parable is called this. Lolium temulentum. At least that's how I pronounce it. Uh, I don't know whether there are any keen gardeners among us this morning who may uh, know of this particular weed or pronounce uh, it a little bit more accurately. But what I discovered as I looked into this parable and uh, some of the history behind it, that this particular weed that Jesus mentions is a very poisonous weed but it is actually very closely related to wheat. So closely related to wheat that in the early stages, it's hard to tell the difference between the two. And it's only when this weed grows up that it is then recognized not as wheat, but as a very dangerous weed. But by that time apparently its roots have become so intertwined with the roots of the wheat that you could not pull out the, weed, the, the weeds without pulling out the wheat. Do you get that? The, the, the roots are so intertwined. 
So the farmer says, you know, when the workers say, shall we go and pull up the weeds? That which represents the counterfeit kingdom. And the farmer says, no, no, you can't do that. The roots are too firmly intertwined. And he says, let both grow together until the harvest. That's what's happening now in our world and always has been happening. You see, if God was to root out evil in the way that people think he should and sometimes in the way we think he should, he would root out the good as well because the roots of evil are in all of us. Things like envy and selfishness and greed and gossip and resentment and bitterness. These are the causes of all the terrible events in the world. And the seeds of real evil are in all of us. And that's why in the Gospels we read that when Jesus came preaching, he called people to repent, to turn from their sin and live a different kind of life, one of following him. So notice what the farmer says in response to that question put to him by his workers. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up, namely the weeds? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. So the reality of the world in which we live is this, that good coexists with evil. And people say, why doesn't God do something? Well, he has. He sent Jesus Christ into the world to defeat the powers of evil. But the victory is not yet complete, but one day it will be. Now, there are three things about this kingdom of evil, as it were. And first of all, it is counterfeit. In other words, this is a kingdom, Jesus says this... uh, um, the weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. This is, this is another kingdom. This counterfeit kingdom expresses itself in various ways, in many different ways, in various lifestyles and beliefs and religions that seem to offer so much. And therefore, a lot of people are attracted to this kingdom because at first it seems to have some value. It can talk about right and wrong. It is concerned about a lot of the things that ordinary people are concerned about, such as the environment and care of others and treating everyone the same. Claire Rayner uh, was once asked, are we living in a universe where the words right and wrong do not exist? And her reply was, oh no, there's right and wrong, of course there is. My basic ethic is, she said, whatever you do, you must do what will cause the least pain to the people involved. 
And in effect, she is saying we don't need God to know the difference between right and wrong. And people are attracted to this counterfeit kingdom. Some people are attracted to religion. But not all religion is equally valid. There is such a thing as healthy religion and unhealthy religion. And of course, what Christianity has to offer is not a religion, but a relationship. But many people don't want a relationship. They want a religion. And so they choose the religion even of atheism, or of simply having a good time, or simply living for pleasure, or prosperity, or status. And so many people today are attracted to this counterfeit kingdom represented by the weeds in this parable that Jesus told of the wheat and the weeds. People are attracted to this counterfeit kingdom with all of its many expressions. But the Bible makes it clear in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to men and women. It seems right, but in the end it leads to destruction. William Penn, one of, the, one of America's founding fathers, once said this, men must be ruled by God or they will be ruled by tyrants. And history is evidence of the truth of that statement. There is a God-shaped space in human lives that only God can fill. And when God is allowed to fill that space with his Holy Spirit, life works with all of its challenges and difficulties, its successes and failures, its strengths and its weaknesses. But when God, through his Spirit, is not allowed into that space, then all of our intentions are channeled in all sorts of other directions, and life doesn't work. And so even with good intentions, channeled, however, in the wrong directions, because of this counterfeit kingdom, we have breakdown in family life, we have breakdown in community life, we have conflict between nations. As Rick Warren reminds us in that incredible little book, The Purpose Driven Life, which you have read, we were made by God and for God, and until we understand that, life doesn't make sense. And what we need to realize this morning is that there is a counterfeit kingdom which is existing alongside the kingdom of God. And we see manifestations of that counterfeit kingdom which so often appears to be so attractive. We see manifestations of that all around us. We ask, why? Well, the second thing about this kingdom, the kingdom of the weeds, is it's maturing. It's actually growing. Just like the kingdom of God is growing and maturing, so is this counterfeit kingdom. The parable clearly says that where God sows, the devil also sows. And the Bible is full of prophecy that evil will go on maturing until the day of judgment. As Christians, we should not be surprised. 
We should not be surprised what has been, that what has been sown by the devil grows to maturity and finds ever-worsening expressions of evil. As an old preacher I heard many years ago say, if you think the world today is bad, wait a few years and then see how bad it is. But God's kingdom is maturing as well. And this is the great thing for us. And God today is doing some amazing things around the world. Things which don't necessarily make the headlines or our television screens. But God is building this kingdom. He is building his church. And you can see evidence of that in your own church and in your own fellowship here. Even the building that's going up outside is a physical building. But it's a sign that God is building his church in the lives of men and women in this area. And what is happening here is happening in so many other places as well. This is the kingdom of God represented by the wheat. And I want to be a part of that. And I trust that you do too. That's what this church is all about. And therefore, when it calls for our commitment, a commitment to Christ and his church, we should rejoice that we're able to get involved with what God is doing here. And at the same time, not be surprised that the counterfeit kingdom is there and is maturing as well. Now, the third thing, of course, that Jesus says about this, uh, um, in this parable, about this uh, kingdom is that the final separation is God's task. All sowing is followed by a harvest, and there will be a final harvest, but the parable clearly makes clear that the harvest is under God's control. It's not under our control. It's not under any government's control. It's not under any politician's control. It is under God's control, so we can trust him we can trust him. This is why the followers of Jesus Christ can be described as the people of hope. Others may embrace despair when they look out on our world, but we can worship God in times of crisis because we know that God is in control. And just as the wheat and the weeds will be separated at the time of harvest, so God's kingdom will be separated from the counterfeit kingdom. It'll happen. Why doesn't God do something? He's doing it, and he's going to do it. Although evil is maturing all the time, it will not overcome the good. As surely as God's kingdom began, so surely will victory be won at the end of time. And notice that earlier parable of the mustard seed, where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants and grows into a tree where birds can come and find shelter in its branches. Echoes of that tremendous promise in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where it says people of every tribe and every every people group and every culture and every language will make up the kingdom of God of God. In the meantime, in the meantime, 
The psalmist says this, when the foundations are being destroyed, and we see that all around us, and that's what Harry Emerson Fosdick was referring to during his ministry and during the Second World War, and the statements that the woman and the man made are echoed in our world today. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, remember the next verse. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. In the New Living Translation, that comes out like this. But the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. However angry, however disappointed, however um, shocked we might be, and Ipswich has had its fair share of this over recent months, of various manifestations of evil. The Lord still rules from heaven. He watches everything closely, examining everyone on earth. <clears throat> Nothing escapes God's uh, eye. So what can we do? <clears throat> what can we do? What can the righteous do? What can we do? as we live out our, our lives in this field of the world where these two kingdoms are maturing. First of all, refuse to be bitter. Isn't it easy to give in to bitterness? Refuse to be bitter. We live by the fruit of the Spirit. And we need to remember that the kingdom of God is compassionate as well as challenging. Refuse to be bitter. Secondly, remember that God is in control. That means that if you want real security in life, and as we look out on this world, at times it seems very insecure and the future uncertain. If you want real security, build your life on something that can never be taken from you. Can you lose a home? Yes, you can. Many have. Can you lose a career? Yes, you can. Many have. Can you lose a marriage? Yes, you can. Can you lose a pension? Yes, you can. Can you lose your health? Yes, you can. Can you lose your relationship with God? No, you can't. No, you can't. If you want real security, build your life on something that can't be taken from you, whatever else is happening around you. And as again, I'm saying, I'm not talking about religion. Religion, as we know, can be one of the most dangerous things on the face of the earth. Christianity is a relationship, a relationship with a God who cares. And the other thing, that we can do is to reach out to others, which is what I trust you are doing here in this church and in this community. Reach out to others with God's love. Reach out to others with the message of Jesus Christ. You know, Johnny Cash, um, known as the man in black, and he sings one of his country western songs explaining why he's dressed in black. And he says, I wear black 
for the poor and the, the downtrodden, uh, the people who live in the, the bad side of town. And then he adds this, he says, I wear black for those who've never heard and never read the words that Jesus said. There are thousands around us who've never had the opportunity to hear or to read the words that Jesus spoke. And if only they did, it would make such a difference. And we need to reach out with that message of God's love. Jesus gave his life on the cross to save men and women for eternity. Are we prepared today, in this world in which we live, to have a sacrificial approach in reaching out to others with God's love and truth? Because we know, as we see these two kingdoms, uh, as we look out and see the wheat growing and the weeds growing, we know what the outcome is going to be and what is going to last and what is going to be important. And that is worth everything that you have and are.